A video version of this podcast is available at AboundingJoy.com and also on our YouTube pages. Hey, my name's Steve Hall, and I want to thank you for joining our Bible study today. Before we get into today's Bible study, I would like to invite you to come to check out our Standing Firm Bible Study class in person. We're at Fairview Baptist Tabernacle in Sweetwater, Tennessee. We meet in the downstairs fellowship hall of the auditorium building at 10.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings immediately after the 9 o'clock worship service. Here's a little map for you. See the little red lines? (laughs) Notice if you're in the auditorium, just follow those red arrows. If you're in the back, go straight down that hallway behind you to the stairwell. If you're near the front of the auditorium, you can go out the left door, and I mean left as you're sitting in the auditorium looking toward the pulpit and the choir. Go to your left, go out that door, all the way down to the end of the hall, keep to your left, all the way down to the stairwell, and then turn right and go down the stairwell. We meet in the fellowship hall around the tables near the kitchen downstairs. If you have trouble with stairs, there are men driving golf carts near the entrance to the auditorium building at the crossover there who will be glad to give you a ride to a door that enters the building on our level, so you won't have to do any steps at all. We're a co-educational class, men and women both invited. We're for all ages, doesn't matter how old or how young. Children and youth are certainly welcome, but some children and youth actually prefer to go to the children and youth classes, which meet at the same time we meet, more on their level. Dress, totally casual. Class members are certainly encouraged to participate in the Bible study, ask questions, engage in conversation. But listen, if you happen to be kind of shy, we promise we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to read. We're not going to ask you to pray. We're not going to ask you any specific questions directed to you. It isn't unusual for class members who are kind of shy just to not say anything at all once class gets started. So that's your choice. So I'm just saying, please don't feel intimidated if you happen to be the shy type. I know sometimes the first meeting is kind of tough for the shy people. But there's never been a time when it's been more important for God's people to meet in small Bible study fellowship groups in order to encourage each other. We've got to stand firm in his truth. We've got to stand firm on his word. These are very confusing days we're living in. You know that. So we'd love for you to join us and just see for yourself what God's doing in our class. If you'd like more information... Go to AboundingJoy.com. There's the web address right there on the screen. You can click on the Standing Firm Bible Class menu item when you get there. You may want to hit pause right now or do a screen save to make sure you get the spelling right, but you can learn more information about us there. Now, here's today's Bible study. I hope and pray it helps you grow stronger in our Lord Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of His Word and of His will for your life. Hey, guys, thanks for joining me in Bible study again today. I think you probably would agree with me if I said something like Christians, of all people, ought to be people of great joy. Wouldn't you agree with that? We'll say with the words anyway, sometimes I think we miss the meat of it somehow. I think if we really understood who God really is, and we could really understand what he's really like, and what he's really done, And what he's really going to do, if we could just absorb this, I think it'd be hard for us to keep from out shouting each other, from having just one shouting spell right after another. I mean, it would be, we'd just be overwhelmed with shouting joy, I believe. We just can't quite internalize it. 
Of course, now we see through a glass darkly. We can't see things spiritually as clearly as we would like to. And sadly, it's easy for us to be overwhelmed by what our physical senses tell us. You know what I mean? What our physical eyes can see, what our physical ears can hear, what this physical world around us says to our physical senses can just kind of overwhelm our spiritual sensitivity. And when we look at the world out there, it can seem pretty dismal. It can seem pretty depressing sometimes and kind of takes away our shout, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh, full of people who are spiritually blind, spiritually dead, the Bible says, and people who are living in great darkness, great confusion. Back in chapter one, we saw their foolish hearts have been darkened, God says. And we're living in that. We see that. We hear it. So somehow we have to work really hard to get our minds off the things that we can see and hear with our physical ears and eyes, the things that are passing away, and get our focus on the things that are eternal. It's what Paul wrote about to the Corinthians about 56 AD, pretty much the same time he wrote uh, this letter to the Romans that we're studying. But he said this, he says, we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are transient, temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. (laughs) They're the eternal things. In the early 1990s, about 30 years ago or so now, Vicki and I decided to name our website Abounding Joy. Abounding Joy. Isn't that a great, I just think it's a great name. Websites at the time were kind of new. There weren't a whole lot of them. And at the time, our focus on our website was primarily on the abounding joy that comes when a new baby comes into the world. Because Vicki was a certified professional midwife practicing in Texas, delivering hundreds of babies, uh, president of the North Texas Midwives Association. And uh, mostly, by the way, she was delivering those babies in, in, in people's homes, sometimes in birth centers. But it was an incredibly joyful time, lots of joy when these babies were born, and especially when you have a baby the way God meant for you to have a baby. <laughs> I won't go into that right now. Anyway, uh, it was a wonderful name for her practice. Later on, we realized when she retired from midwifery, it would be a perfect name for a website designed to help others grow stronger in the Lord because we ought to be full of his joy, abounding joy. That's what we, that's what the website's all about today. Well, we're working our way through Paul's letter to the Romans and we've reached chapter five and it's definitely a chapter of abounding joy, as you will see. You may remember the sense of heaviness that God puts on the readers of his word as we work through chapters one and chapter two and chapter three, or at least the first 20 verses of chapter three. But when we get to verse 21 of chapter three, everything changes. You remember those two wonderful words we looked at a few weeks ago, but now, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. But now, but now everything's changed. So I want us now to look at the first 11 verses of chapter 5, and I'll give you a heads up before I read it. Some of you may be tuned into this kind of thing. I usually read from the ESV, the English Standard Version translation. I really like that translation. But beginning today, for at least a while, most likely, and I may change my mind about this, but most likely, I'll probably be using the New American Standard Bible for a while. Because in the past, when I did a lot of my study and some memory work in Romans chapters 5 and 6 and 7 and 8, in this part of Romans especially, 
I mainly used the New American Standard Version then, so it's, I'm a little more familiar with it, the wording in that translation. But whichever translation you prefer, this is God's Word. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Now we're going to spend at least a few weeks in this passage, so let's just be patient here as we work our way through it. So in the first chapters of this letter, we've, we've seen this, the awful consequences and the awful outcomes of sin and unbelief and where it leads. We've also learned that God is a righteous and impartial and holy judge who must deal with sin and who will deal with sin. So by the time we got to chapter 3, verse 20, we'd learned that we, we were all guilty. None of us are exceptions. We were all guilty. We've all sinned. We're all without hope apart from Jesus. And then we got to chapter 3, verse 21, but now, but now, and we learn that because of God's gift of grace, we can be justified by the blood of Jesus. We can be declared righteous by God himself. And it's not because of our works. It's totally by faith. It's a gift from God. Then in chapter 4, we looked at the life of Abraham and we learned what real faith looks like. So now, as we begin chapter 5, we see him beginning to help us see the results of our being justified. He wants us to understand as much as we can what this means. And notice what he says in verse 2, the last part. He writes, Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And listen to this. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. See that word exult? We exult. It's a very strong word. Paul's going to use that two more times in this chapter, in verse 3 and again in verse 11. If you happen to be using the old King James Version, the translators decided to use three different English words to make it sound better, I guess, to them. Rejoice in verse 2, glory in verse 3, joy in verse 11. The new King James changed that word joy in verse 11 back to rejoice, like verse 2. And rejoice isn't a bad choice. It's, it's really a pretty good word to describe what exult means here. But the truth is the Greek word is really stronger than just rejoice. 
It means to greatly rejoice, to rejoice with some energy. And I like the way the New American Standard translates it, to exult. It can also mean to boast or to glory. But there's intensity in this word. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul says he boasts in the cross of Christ. He's glory. He's exulting in it. There's intensity in his feelings there. Now, back in verse 1, he said, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's telling us here that one of the results of our justification, of our being forgiven, of our being declared righteous in Christ, that's what we mean by justification, we've looked at that word already, is that we have peace with God now. We have been involved throughout our lives until we come to Christ in a long personal war against God himself. And that long personal war against God is now over when we come to Christ. When we, before we came to Christ, we were at enmity with God. That's what God tells us. We were at war with God himself. Why, how does that work? I mean, a lot of people don't think they're at war with God. But when we want to do things our way, when we choose our way over his way, he says we are essentially at war with him. And believe me, there's no hope whatsoever of our ever winning that war. <laughs> but now, but now we're at peace with God. How do we get to be at peace with God? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us on the cross. The awful war against God that was going on in our hearts and minds, that war's over. We're at peace now with God. And that in and of itself ought to bring an enormous thrill of great joy bubbling out of our hearts and through our mouths. <laughs> Have you seen videos and pictures of the celebrations that took place at the end of World War II? I'm sure you have. Huge crowds of people in the city streets. The news hits that World War II is finally over and people are shouting and they're crying and they're laughing and they're hugging each other. And there's just an enormous outpouring of great exultation. I think that's the right word. Don't you? They're exulting. The war is finally over. Well, in Christ, our war against God is finally over. We have peace with God, and there ought to be some exulting because of that. Notice also in verse 2, he mentions another result of our being justified, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. We're standing in his grace. We're standing in the presence of the king with whom we were once at war and we're standing now in his favor. It's amazing. It's almost like we were living our entire lives outside, not inside, but outside this glorious palace. But we were outside. We were in a filthy ditch and we're out in the cold and we're out in the rain. And, and, on, the, and on the inside, there's all kinds of riches and wonderful things, good food uh, we, we're out here kind of clumsily and foolishly trying to fight against the owner of this fabulous palace. And then somehow one day, miraculously, we're brought into the palace, into the presence of the king, and we're told he's decided to adopt us as his own, and we are to stay here with him, and we are to enjoy ourselves in his presence. And obviously it's not because we deserve it. It's just out of his grace, the sheer grace of the king. That's, that's our status right now. Jesus said, I'm come 
that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's what it means to be standing in the grace of the king. My God, Paul wrote, shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We're standing in his grace. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We're standing at the throne of grace. This is an amazing thing. And it should cause us to exult with exceeding great joy. Now, notice what he says at the end of verse 2. He says, we exult in the hope of the glory of God. We exult in hope of the glory of God. What's he talking about? Well, there are two possible implications here. I think both are true. First, we're looking forward with a certain eager anticipation to see, seeing with our own eyes the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his high priestly prayer, John 17, Jesus prayed that we might be able to behold his glory. He asked his Father to give us that grace. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to behold my glory. You see it? To behold my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Just the thought of seeing Jesus in all of his glory, and we're certainly going to do that, should cause us to exult with exceedingly great joy. Exultation should be the result, the response. You remember when Stephen was being stoned to death? Can you imagine how much that hurt? Do you remember what the Bible records that he said? He did not say, Lord, these angry Jews are terrifying me. What am I going to do? I think they're about to kill me. He didn't say that. He said, behold, I see the heavens opened and I see the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Jesus gave him a glimpse of his glory, got him through that experience. You may remember Peter, James and John were privileged to have a glimpse of Jesus in his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember this, Matthew 17, he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. You remember Paul was on the road to Damascus when Jesus appeared to him in glory that was brighter than the brightest sun. Second Corinthians 12, Paul told about being caught up into the third heaven and experiencing some kind of inexpressible glory. So Paul himself is exulting in hope of the glory of God. And God's telling us we ought to be doing the same thing. We're going to see him in his glory and that should cause us to exult. But there's another implication here. He's not only referring to the amazing thought of seeing Jesus in all his glory. He wants us to realize that we ourselves are going to be glorified too. We've already been justified. That's clear. We've already been declared righteous. That's past tense. And we're in the process of being sanctified. That's present tense. Being more and more set apart. That's what sanctified means for God's purposes, for his glory. But... As long as we're wearing these flesh and blood bodies, we ourselves are not yet experiencing the glorification that's coming. We're not yet glorified. Lord willing, in the not too distant future, we're going to get to Romans chapter 8. But for right now, let's just glance ahead at verse 18. Look at this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with what? The glory, the glory that's to be revealed to us. 
In Philippians chapter 3, Paul tells us we're like a colony of heaven living here on earth in physical bodies, plain, ordinary, humble, physical, decaying bodies. But he reminds us it's not going to always be that way. Look at what he says. Our citizenship's in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, listen, transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We're going to be glorified. Look what John wrote, 1 John chapter 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Right now, in these fleshly bodies, we're the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to be glorified. Not only will we see Jesus glorified, we're going to be glorified too. These bodies of ours, because of sin, because of the fall, these bodies are very weak. They're, they're amazing. It's amazing how God's created us. It's one of the clear evidences that God's the creator and we didn't evolve. You look closely at how we're created. But these, they're still weak. And they get diseases. And they get cancer. And they get heart disease. And they get aches and pains, and they finally wear out, and they die. But one day we're going to be glorified, and every last vestige of sin, including sickness, including pain, including death, is going to be removed. We won't experience that anymore. One more word here that we ought to consider briefly is the word hope. We exult in hope, in hope of the glory of God. In the Bible, the word hope never implies any uncertainty the way we use it today. If I say, well, I hope I'm going to get to have some Mexican for lunch today. What I mean is I'd like to have Mexican and I might get to have Mexican, but I might not get to have Mexican. In the Bible, it never means that. The word always implies certainty. It's something in the future. That's why it's hope. It's in the future, but it's certainly coming. There's no doubt about it. That's why God uses it in the past tense in Romans chapter 8, whom he predestined, that's obviously before the foundation of the world, Those these he also called. He called us to himself. That's in the past too. And whom he called, these he also justified. We've already been justified. That's in the past. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. And we what? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What do you mean we've also been glorified? He, re, he wrote it like it's past tense. But our glorification is in the future. But what he's trying to tell us there is it's just as certain as if it were in the past. From his perspective, it's a done deal. So God uses the past tense to emphasize that. Hasn't happened yet, but it's as good as done. We will be glorified. Isn't that something to exult about? <laughs> Don't you think? <laughs> I think it is. There's an old Isaac Watts hymn you're probably familiar with. We're marching to Zion. He caught just a little bit of the spirit of exulting. He said, let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. But children of the heavenly king may speak their joys abroad. They ought to be exulting. There's another verse that says, then let our songs abound and every tear be dry. We're marching through Emmanuel's ground to fairer worlds on high. He was catching a little of that exulting joy that exulting in our future glorification and i think if we can get a strong internal awareness of this truth where we can really begin to understand it and begin to live it it can have a powerful impact on the world around us the lost confused dying world out there they don't have any hope 
And they don't want to think about it. But if lost people can watch us and see that we are not overwhelmed by the threat of inflation or by the threat of, of recession or the, the threat of some other kind of bad financial news, we're exulting in hope of the glory of God. If they can see that we're really not terrified and panicking over what Vladimir Putin might do or what Xi Jinping might do next or, or the threat of nuclear war or the threat of World War III. I mean, that sounds horrific, doesn't it? But we're exulting in hope of the glory of God, guys. We shouldn't panic. We shouldn't panic and go into total depression when the doctor comes in and says, I've got some bad news. This is terminal. You're not going to make it through this. We'll shed some tears. Sure, we'll, we'll have some pain. Now, don't misunderstand me. But in the middle of it, we'll exult in hope of the glory of God. And when lost people see that, it's not too unusual for them to start thinking, you know what? I don't have that. I need what that person has. When they see us exulting in hope of the glory of God in the middle of bad news, in the middle of horrible circumstances. So we better practice this. We need to learn how to do it. How? Well, I think the answer's in the verse we looked at at the very beginning of this study today, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Many, many years ago, I went through a period of time in my life where I preached quite a few funerals. And this passage was probably my very favorite passage to use in a funeral. Let's look at it again. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. And I think that's the key right there. We have to learn to not focus so much on the things that are seen with our physical eyes, the things of this life, you know what I'm talking about. The toys we all crave. Sometimes when we grow up, they're pretty expensive toys. The exotic places we crave. We want to go to new places and see new things. The entertainment we crave. The cell phone we crave. The television programs we crave. The restaurants. Uh, all this stuff. It's, pass, pass, it's passing away. It's passing away. It's passing away. we got to practice working at giving more of our attention to the eternal things. And not get so wrapped up like the rest of the world in these things that are passing away. The glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and our own future glory with him. It's what he said to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 3. If you then are risen with Christ, seek those things which are where? Above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And if we're not exulting in hope of the glory of God, it's most likely because we're just too wrapped up and focused on the wrong stuff. And we may never be able to exult in hope of the glory of God until we learn to change the focus of our attention. Many years ago, I read a story about a farmer in one of the Midwestern states of our country. And it was right in the middle of winter, dead of winter, and it was snowing hard and the ground was hard and icy and covered in snow and ice. And he was sitting there in his living room, looking through his front window, watching the snow. And as he watched the snow, he saw a, the mailman pull up in the distance to his mailbox out there and put something in his mailbox. And he was curious about what he had gotten to it in his mailbox. So he put on his boots and he put on his coat and he walked out. It was a bitterly cold wind blowing. It was about a quarter of a mile out to his mailbox from, from his door. 
So he walked down there, snow swirling all around him. When he finally got to the mailbox and opened it, he was irritated. It was only a seed catalog, nothing personal. But if you've ever thumbed through a seed catalog, you know there are some beautiful pictures of some of the most beautiful flowers and beautiful fruits and vegetables you ever saw. And the man said as he thumbed through the catalog, it was kind of like spring had suddenly come for a few minutes. He said, for a few moments there, I thought I could almost taste the crunch of that cucumber. I could almost smell the fragrance of the flowers. I could almost imagine biting into that red ripe tomato and sense the flavor bursting in my mouth. You can see the analogy, can't you? I think God's saying to us, why don't you have a look at my seed catalog? <laughs> The winter of this life is soon going to come to an end. Spring is on the way. you got a lot of exciting things to look forward to. We need to look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. We need to work on it. We need to learn to exult in hope of the glory of God. We are going to be glorified. And we're going to see Jesus in all of his glory. I want us to listen to another song from First Baptist Church Dallas to conclude this study. This is a little bit harder to sing along with, but you might be able to sing along with parts of it, but I just think it's so appropriate. Listen.
Father, thank you for giving us this glimpse into our future. Thank you that you've promised that we are going to see Jesus in all of his glory. Thank you that we're going to be glorified with him. Lord, that's as certain as certain can be. It's part of our future. Thank you for telling us this so that we can exult in hope of the glory of you, the God of the universe. Thank you for this awesome plan you put together. Lord, help us to learn to do this. Help us to learn to focus not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are not seen. Because we know the things that are seen are passing away. And the things that are not seen are eternal. So please, Father, help us learn to do that. Help us to make up our mind to practice these things so that when the bad news comes, people will find us exulting in hope of the glory of God. We want you to have all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.